Hi, thanks for joining me today, Gary Zacharias, and uh, we're doing another look at the Apologist Bookshelf. There's a brand new book out that I just got through reading. It's a follow-up to Greg Kokel's earlier book called Tactics, and this one's called Street Smart. So I want to do a lot of work in this book because it's wonderful. Everything Kokel puts out is great. He's uh, got an M.A., in apologetics, honors in uh, apologetics and philosophy, spoken on a lot of university campuses. Uh, of course, he hosts his own call-in radio show, and uh, he's the head of Stand to Reason organization, str.org. And if you go there, you'll find just a bunch of really good free things for you to download and listen to and read, and just uh, excellent. So... This book has been praised by Frank Turek, Nancy Piercy, Lee Strobel, Elisa Childers, Hillary Morgan Ferrer, and others. So I want to walk my way through it over several podcasts. Uh, so here's the first one, and I'm going to take his opening couple of chapters here. He, he says the reason for this book, why he wrote Street Smarts, he says it's a good standalone guide. He hopes that people who have read tactics first, but this is a standalone guide. He said it actually goes to the next step, uh, moving beyond basic game plan that you encounter in the book Tactics, which I also highly recommend. This says, this expands on tactics, especially using questions to expose weaknesses or flaws in uh, somebody else's view about God or God's world. So he says in Tactics, that he addressed common objections to Christianity to show that you can use the third step of that game plan to respond to them. By the way, the, the earlier two steps in tactics, first is asking the question, um, what do you mean by that? So you're trying to get them to explain. The second step is how did you come to that conclusion? And then the third step is using questions to see uh, a weakness and let the other person understand that weakness. So he says that, in this third book, or this third section here, Street Smarts, he focuses on larger issues like atheism, problem of evil, abortion, science, and Christianity. So he gives you insights on the problems with the non-theist and uh, shows you ways that you can point out some problems with their thinking. So he said basically there's two parts to this book. There's the content, so you better know the answers to the challenges, and then secondly, you got to do more than that. So you got to know how to leverage the knowledge that you have. And so learning how to tactfully expose the weaknesses that you see there in a particular manner. So he says for each challenge that's there, Coco will give you appropriate initial questions to help you join the conversation. So questions are wonderful, aren't they? He talks about the value of questions, and we all know that. If you ask a question, it takes pressure off us. So he said... Basically, he said, take the core ideas that are in the book, and he said, uh, do it some way that fits your personality. So it's not a question of you having to memorize responses here. Just uh, develop it the way you feel, the way you think, the way you talk. And I like the end of the first chapter here because he says there are really no silver bullets. He said, you could have accurate information, you could have some really clever maneuvering, but that isn't going to guarantee results. He said, uh, you can't absolutely guarantee that somebody who's a, a skeptic or a critic is going to come to his or her senses, acknowledge the errors, and turn to Christ. That's not necessarily going to happen. He said, although keep in mind, that it may bear no fruit immediately, and you may actually have kind of a messy conversation. Don't despair, he says. 
He says the long-term impact of being faithful can be profound. And I think that's really good to know. He points out that people come to Christ only because the Father enables them. I mean, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So he said, even Jesus' preaching was ineffectual without the special work of God. So he said, all we're supposed to do, which I think is so good to hear, we just need to be faithful. We need to present the truth as clearly, as graciously as we can. That's our responsibility. He said, that's where street smarts will help you. And all the rest, 100%, is up to God. You do the talking, Kokel says. God will do the persuading. That's pretty simple. So he said, all you want to do is you'll be successful if you're trying to be faithful to God. That's success. So he said, don't don't press for a quick harvest. Settle in for some extended gardening. So what is he talking about there, this harvesting and gardening business? He said, when, now I'm on to chapter two. He said, you know, it's funny when he talks to people. He said, here's my confession. He said, I haven't prayed with anyone to receive Christ in more than 30 years. So people will go, what? Great Kokel hasn't done that? He said, no. He said, Let's think about this. He said, the way people hear the truth has changed a lot because the cultural conversation has changed so much. So he said, we've got to make this message of Christ more intelligible to people today. He says, back in the 70s, Christian words and Christian doctrines made sense, even if people didn't buy them or they didn't live them out. I mean, at least they knew about it. But he said, you know, the, the things that we encounter today are often hostile uh, not just against the gospel, but against every detail of the way the Bible talks about reality. Things like, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be gendered, moral? What does it mean for things to be true? He said, wow, the culture has really moved on. But he said, our methods haven't. They've remained static. We, we use outdated devices, and sometimes we use outdated Christian language, and people don't get it. They don't understand it. And if they don't understand our ideas, they're not going to understand the message. The message is going to seem obsolete or antiquated or irrelevant. And that's bad news, isn't it? He gives an example about Jesus in Matthew 13. He has the parable of the sower. It says uh, that one of the, uh, he's explaining what he means. And Jesus says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown. So the seed got sown. It got sown into his heart. But he said uh, the message got internalized, but something was missing. The guy didn't, whoever was the recipient, didn't understand it. And when they got confused and puzzled, then they became easy prey to the devil. And then Jesus says the opposite, though. By contrast, one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it. He says, so that's the key thing there, isn't it? Just like uh, he says Paul's exhortation in Colossians 4 says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you know how to respond to each person. So he says people are unique. Circumstances are unique. And so he says that you can't use a cookie-cutter approach. It says it leaves people mystified today. So he says, uh, let's go back to this idea of spade work. He says harvesting depends on spade work first. You gotta sow, you gotta water, you gotta weed, you gotta nurture before you get a crop. And he says before someone comes to Christ, there's always a period of time where that person is thinking about the gospel and mulling it over, wondering whether it might be true. So he said, 
the gardening always comes first. And he said, that's the hard part. But he said in evangelism, when the spade work is done well, the harvest takes care of itself. Okay. He says, I don't know of any case in the book of Acts where somebody just prayed to receive Christ, nor is there evidence of any altar calls in the early church. He said, they're not wrong, but they're not just part necessarily of a biblical part of evangelism. He said, think about Jesus' words in John 4, uh, where he's been talking to the woman in Samaria, Jacob's well. And he said, I want you to notice something there. Now, when the people come on the scene, he says, uh, I sent you to reap for that which you haven't labored. Others have labored and you have entered into these labors. So that's part of what Jesus is talking about. Coco says, I've read those, for, those words for a long time without noticing something. Jesus identifies one field, that's Sikar, that's the city. But he says there are two different seasons, sowing and reaping, or what Coco calls gardening and harvesting. So he says, you've got one team, God's people, but he distinguishes between two types of workers, some that sow and some who reap, those who garden and those who harvest. He says for Sikar, the reaping season was at hand. Someone else had done the heavy lifting, but now... The disciples had the easy job. They were going to go gather the low-hanging fruit, the easy pickings. So he says, again, the harvest is easy when the crop is ready. So he said, uh, we've got to understand people, first of all. He says there's another problem. He says, what happens when you have a lot of Christians who are gifted as gardeners? They're, they're good at planting seeds, but he said they're not good as harvesters. And they get told that harvesting is what they have to do. That's evangelism. He said they sit on their bench. He said they're out of play. If you press somebody for a decision, especially in today's hostile environment, it's unsettling. It's kind of frightening for people, and they don't want to do that. And Coco says, I sympathize. He said most of us are really not good closers, so we don't get into the game. And he said if gardeners don't garden for whatever reason, then the harvest suffers. And he says, wait a minute, don't, don't misunderstand me. Harvesting is critical. There wouldn't be any kingdom, the growing kingdom of God, without it. But he said, you got to do the spade work first. There's got to be some plowing and planting and cultivating. But you don't gain kingdom growth if you don't do those things, too. And he said, the good news, of course, shouldn't get the short shrift. But he said, you got to have the bad news first, don't you? So he talks about a section here called Lower the Bar, Raise the Impact. He said, you know... When I'm talking to people, he said, I'm not there to convert them. He said, I have a more modest goal. I just want to put a stone in their shoe. I, I want to annoy people a little bit in a good way. He says when he's talking to people at a, a big um, audience somewhere, he said when they leave the auditorium, he wants them to be thinking about things, thinking about Jesus of Nazareth, because he said he's worth thinking about. So he said, you may be wondering, well, does this guy ever get to the gospel? Coco says, yeah, I do. And then the next question, when do you get to the gospel? Coco says, I get to the gospel whenever I want. So you got to start with that gardening first there. And so he says, what's in the garden? He said, let's go back to that question. He said, I haven't prayed for over three decades to get somebody uh, saved. He said, I haven't really tried. I'm not in harvesting mode. He said, I'm not a harvester. I'm a gardener. And he said, I think most Christians are. They just hadn't thought of themselves that way. He says, there's something else you need to know. Who's been in my garden? And he mentions J. Warner Wallace. Yeah, good for him. J. Warner Wallace has been uh, listening and, and reading Cocal stuff in the past 
and uh, listening to Standard Reason's radio broadcast. And they thought about it for a while and became Christians, but Coco wasn't there at the end when Wallace became a Christian. So he said, you know what was happening? He said, I was patiently and unknowingly doing spade work on Jim Wallace and others. When somebody went into my garden and harvest my crop, he said, do you think I care? No. Uh, Jesus says, he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. You got one field, you got one team, but you got two different seasons and two different kinds of workers. So he said, don't worry about the end game. Just get busy doing some spade work. He said, just, if you get off the bench and get into play in some real simple ways that are friendly, that moderately challenging, he said, I think you're going to see a big impact for the kingdom. He said, don't ever forget, the more gardeners we have, the bigger the harvest is going to be. So he says, we got to get off the bench. we got to get off the sidelines. we got to get out in the street. But you need a game plan. And that's what the book gets into. So I will stop at this point. But I think that's really good advice. Uh, we tend to sit back because we think, gosh, I've got to take the person all the way from atheism to Christianity in 30 minutes. And that's not going to happen. We'll, we'll have to do... The, uh, the spade work first. We'll have to do a little gardening first in many, many cases because people are not necessarily automatically ready to take up the cross of Christ. So I like the book a lot. I'll go through it uh, with some other podcasts in the future. Again, the title, Street Smarts, Greg Kokel. Anything by Kokel is worth getting and, and reading and rereading and putting it into practice. All right, thanks. Have a good rest of your day.